you are listening to a production of the Tool Network. This is Laser Knees number 113, The Gunner's Shovel's Dream. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Machine Sentai Kira Major, Episode 5, Shovello Coming Through, and Episode 6, My Friend Turned 5. Our writer for Episode 5 was Naruhisa Arakawa, and for 6, we have Shidayumi coming back. Welcome back, Shida. Always brings some... I'm fond of them, anyway, is what I'm saying. Same. Our director for both was Watanabe Katsuya, who is a longtime Sentai director who made his debut directing on Zoo Ranger back in Dang. 1992 and has just not stopped. Most of those years were spent working on Sentai, but a few of them uh, he shifted over to Ryder. He directed on Kuga, Agito, Ghost, uh, a handful of others, some of them alongside Sentai, but those three. Uh, stuck out as years there where he wasn't working on Sentai. And he also did some of the B-Fighter shows back in the mid to late 90s. Oh, dang. All right. So, uh, you know, has not stopped. Can't stop, won't stop. And he's here on Kira Major. Um, he's clearly worked on a lot of the same shows as Arakawa. Like I said, Kuga. Mm. He also, you know, did some of his Sentai um, so, you know, they're people that know how to work together and bring out a really good episode. Um, and he's just clearly bringing his A-game to the table for Kira Major. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, good. That's that's not fair. Everyone's everyone's trying, but just sometimes you can see where they put a little more effort in. But speaking of, of putting effort in, there are some times where effort gets put into the wrong places, and I guess that's how I'm going to segue us into our into the problems and nitpicks we had this this with these episodes because we like to start there okay so this the thing i'm going to start with is not necessarily something i dislike because i actually like it here more than i'm going to talk about a weird bit of inconsistency but also kind of why i like the new thing instead of the old thing um in the first Four episodes, Chavello is pretty willing to get in on teasing Tametomo about not being the leader, but then in five he's suddenly Tametomo's biggest cheerleader and is trying to, like, break up the team so that his dude can be the leader somewhere else. And I prefer this characterization for Chavello just as a really supportive grandpa. I like this better for him, and it's early enough in the show that it's not really disruptive to the overall dynamics. I think they're just kind of figuring him out. But given that, you know, within the last, like, two episodes, he was helping dunk on Tometomo not being the ace, and then having him start this episode with, I want my guy to be the leader, though, to the point that he eventually, like, throws a temper tantrum and does something explicitly stated as dangerous. Like, it felt a little off with how he's been up to this point, even if I kind of like this better for him. No, yeah, that's that's more than fair. And, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get into a little more later of, of why I like this, um as it relates to some other things in the episode, it just, you know, felt a little weird. And I'm also a tiny bit mad that his plan was to lie to Juru about this being Mabushina's plan, and he had best have apologized to the two of them, because he, like, threw her under the bus about this thing that they were not supposed to do. And just, we never talked about that again. Yeah. Uh, Look, look, I might be kind of whatever... 
about the moment as it in fairness it does create a fun way to bring in our first round of upgrades but still like hey man lying to a kid ain't cool especially with all that oh by the way don't tell anyone stuff that that kind of manipulation just is not on yeah and to follow up on that, as much as I think Tametomo's plan was, like, very clever and showed off a lot of his skills and ability for really good strategy and tactics, and was some fun character stuff for him with uh, his plan to use Gemini and, like, use the joystick monster to make Drew look like a better leader, um, everyone sure does do a whole lot of lying to one another in this episode to just get what they want from other people. Yeah. And, like, sure, Tametomo's doing it to not hurt Chavello's feelings, because he's still kind of traumatized about his grandfather. But all of these plans are so deeply convoluted, and maybe you should just tell the kids to be honest about their feelings. Yeah. And look, I totally understand the genre necessity that is occasional obfuscation. But at the same time, like, it'd be better if folks weren't lying to each other all the time in ways that make things work out. This isn't to say that there's not a time and a place for that kind of thing. Because look, sometimes in life, there's times when a little lie probably isn't the worst thing in the world. Might even be the kinder thing. I Look, this is a complicated issue and I'm not going to get into it, but there are times where maybe it's not the worst thing. But look, it's it's extremely not the thing to do when you're hanging out with friends whom you trust. Is, is, the, is the point. I understand that Tametomo doesn't really want to bring up the fact that he wants to be the leader because he doesn't want to, like, knock down Juru's morale, but I wish he had just, like, said to Chavello and the room, like, hey, look, I know I want to be leader because I'm better at being a leader, but he's better at being our leader, so I'm just gonna teach him my leader stuff. Yeah, I'll teach it, and I'll teach him how to do that, and why will I allow him to be the leader? Because he's good at XYZ. He's good at the things we need him to be good at as our leader. I still like him being that kind of leader. Yeah, it's... I just... I wish that everyone had been kind of upfront by the end of this. Yeah, it would have been nice. Alas. Also, this is a thing we talked about on our last episode... So you have to do some kind of hip bump with Gemini to deactivate it? Because I know we talked about that being weird, and I had just kind of tossed it up to Jiru being really energetic and goofy, especially when he's really in his element. But then, like, Tametomo does it too in this episode, and it's not as, like, dramatic, but he does kind of a little hip check with it. Like, I guess that's just how it works, and why does it work that way? Yeah, I... I don't know, but I just still do not care for it. Like, okay, a thing I could get down with would be, like, if everyone had a different way they dismissed it, because that could be, like, a fun bit of characterization, because, yeah, Juru's just really excited and in his element. Boom, hip check, or butt bounce, or whatever. Uh, Tamatomo, he, like, I don't know, punch. they just punch each other in the shoulders. Something. I don't know, just... I might not like it, but at least at that point... I could see it as a vector of characterization, but it's just... my The only thing I'm grateful for is, like, the first person who had to dismiss it was Senna, and she didn't have to do that. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember what they did. 
Did they? I don't think we saw it. I don't think we saw her do it. I think it's just yeah. Like, like I just really hope we don't have to like watch the girls do that. Yeah, I just I, uh, I just don't want to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's just uncomfortable. I don't I don't know why I react so viscerally to it, but there it is. Also, Look, sometimes there is just things. Yeah, yeah, and moving on into six, I there's at least something here that I react badly to that I can pinpoint, and and okay. I'm just saying it so it's there, but I'm just, I'm not super happy about Six being about literally infantilizing this uber-competent doctor in her first Focus episode. As an episode, as an episode idea, it's not bad, and it's cute, and it's fun, and it talks about something deep and important to Sayo's character, and hey, that's what a Focus episode's for, but still, I'm not in love with the way they got there. I'm not saying it's bad, I just... I'm not in love with it. That's fair enough. I feel like I should have more complicated emotions about it than I did, because even when we saw the preview, I'm like, I feel like I should be worried about this. But, like, personally, I'm kind of comfortable with just letting this one be, since even as a kid, Sayo is going harder than some full-grown Sentai heroes. But I do wish that, like, stripping her of her hard-earned strength and having her, like, crying through the whole episode had not been her first focus episode. Especially when, you know, all canon got to do was sit and, like, hang out and let other people fight. And Miyokudo has specifically said that she's really excited to be doing the protecting now. I just, I kind of, I do kind of agree that I wish this was not the first time we were exploring her as a character. Yeah, especially that. Because, like, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing to ever do, just it's it's a weird note to hit for the first Focus app, and also, in the context of media generally, boy, you don't often see the dude get turned into a five-year-old, you know? I will give Geki Ranger credit, they did it. Oh, good, good for them. They did it, they did it to the two dudes... And had, it It was kind of a weird episode, um, because the girl then had to, like, take care of them, but it uh, wasn't super about her, like, being a mom at them. It was, st- it was kind of similar to this. I mean, I also give Geki Ranger credit because they made, they not only made the yellow the leader, the yellow was the girl. Mm. So Geki Ranger did some, did some stuff. And, like... And also had the- again. It was it was a decent chunk of the way into the show when it happened. You see, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna change up the calculus too. And hey, speaking of like weird stuff in this episode, um, I didn't know quite how to categorize this, but I'm I'm just gonna put it here in the problems and nitpicks because it made my whole everything tense up. But the moment where Sayo takes that blow to the head that gives her amnesia. Wow, that looked painfully real. I should be at, oh, wow, what good acting. But mostly I was just spent the whole time being like, wow, I'm worried we're going to find out that the actress had to take a week or so off because she got concussed. Like, it was that real. So, hats off, but mm. Yeah, like, she hits the corner of a stone brick. And she hits it hard. I mean, 
again, credit to Mio Kudo for making that as convincing as it was. Yeah, but it, it didn't even. I was like, concerned. Yeah, because it didn't even look like one of those foam bricks. It looked like a brick brick. Yeah, well, I don't think it was. I think they were just, like, out on location somewhere, because I know Toei films a lot of their outside scenes just out places. Like, it- when she got hit by the train three seconds earlier, that didn't look as hard as when she got hit- when she, like, hit the sidewalk. Yeah, that's very true. It just, you know, again, props to them, but also it just- it just made me go, like, ah! Because, you know, I've- I've- hit my head pretty hard a couple times as i'm sure no one will be terribly surprised so like mm, <laughs> that's like, they didn't even they didn't even need to do that they could have just had it be her getting hit by the train yeah i mean i guess they wanted her re- to react to garza first but also like she was hit by a train a magic train that came out of the sky and that didn't give her amnesia, but the sidewalk did. That's how hard she hit it. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yeah. So uh, this isn't actually a problem. I've actually, I thought this was very cute. I just... I felt super bad for Mabushina when five-year-old Saya was like, No, you're scary and weird. I don't like scary things. I'm gonna go hide in the corner. Because Sayo specifically has been really supportive and caring toward Mabushina, who, do remember, is an alien on an unfamiliar planet dealing with the trauma of her father getting murdered and her entire planet being taken over by her uncle. Yeah. By the way, her dad was murdered right in front of her. Yeah, so, like, Sayo specifically has been has kind of taken on this big sister role with her, where Sayo is very openly affectionate with her and very caring towards her. So being so outright rejected by her, like, she kind of took that like a punch to the guts. Rightfully so. Oh, yeah. And like, look, even if you you knew it was something that it was going to be over by the end of the episode, like, that's pretty rough. Poor, yeah, poor Mabushina. Like, it, it was at least nice getting to see her playing with five-year-old Sayo at the end. Yeah. To be like, okay, well, you at least have kind of reestablished this relationship in kind kind of in reverse. Even because at that, at that instant, before Mabushina tripped, they didn't know they could get her back to normal. The doctor said they probably couldn't. So it, it was at least nice to see that they had kind of reestablished that. One thing at a time, I guess. Yeah. But still, uh. Um, I am a little confused by Juru triggering Sayo's instinct to save people with the life or death phrase, um, as it seems like that was a thing that was set in her when she saved the puppy. But her teacher says that after she found resolve through saving the puppy, she didn't cry as frequently anymore. So it seems like her memory was set to before the rescue. But the phrase still sets Sayo off to give her the resolve to save the rest of the team, even though in her mind, they're not people that she actively knows and cares about. She's forgotten them. Is this some innate phrase in her brain that sets off an instinct? Because that's super weird. And I wish we would talk about it. Or was it some part of her brain still aware of that resolve and aware of how close to these people she is? And that made her want to save them? 
because she does seem to snap back to her adult personality for a second as she transforms, and she seems to know who Helico is, even though her amnesia hasn't really cleared up. Like, something about it all just feels very weird and foggy in the way it plays out. Yeah, I think that's it right there. Because, look, for all we do get what they're going for, just... Nah. Execution-wise, it doesn't feel like it's quite where it could be. Yeah, the moment I don't think it lands the way that they intended it to, because it doesn't super make sense for her to react that way. Yeah. Like, when she does it as an actual child, it's because she loves that dog and everyone else has given up. And so she wants to go save this dog that she cares about. These aren't people that she knows in her mind. So why why does she react this way? Yeah. That's a good question. Also, I'm just super not into Helico farting. Like, why is that a thing we did? Yeah, I do not know. All I can say is I hope that things are going to get heavy later, and this is like them paying the, the tonal karma forward or whatever. Like, even realizing this stuff is for literal babies, I know what I'm about. I just, that, I just, I want this to have something later so that I can be like, hey, this moment of, of relatively grimdark tokusatsu is brought to us by the, the helicopter farting. I mean, I'm even, I'm down for the kid humor. Like, all the, pretty much all the other jokes in this episode, I love. I thought, every, all the jokes up to this point I've mostly thought were funny. Oh, yeah. But I just, I'm not here for fart jokes, like, ever. I I believe I complained about it in Ryu Soldier when they did it. Um, I complained about it back when uh, Kill Ryuger was airing. Uh, the only one that's ever gotten a laugh out of me is the one in Ghost Sager, because the joke isn't haha someone farted. The joke is literally someone makes a joke about farting as part of a comedy act. Yeah, see, that's fine. That's and it's like, thing. it's the two more serious members of the team. Like, it's it's Hyde and Gosei Knight. And something, and like the juxtaposition of the two of them, plus doing a comedy routine, plus that comedy routine having a fart joke, that was funny. But like, I don't know, like, I don't inherently find a fart to be funny. That's because they're not. But that's, that's the end of our list of problems. Yeah. Which, hey, that means we get to, to traipse on into the good stuff, and surprise of surprises, there's a lot more of that than there is the bad. Hey, you know- These were good episodes. You know what's- I love the- I like the show. Yeah. You know what's great, Sono? We had- we had two good- two good Sentai in a row that are airing at the same time as a real good writer. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, Man, it's very nice. I really hope that we follow it up with another really good writer. That would be ideal. Yeah. I mean, I you know I'm I'm not gonna gonna get my hopes too far up because writer has been a little more volatile in the last while. Yeah, but I am hoping that you know we're in a new era. We're dealing with some new producers. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. It's, we're, we're setting a lot of interesting new precedents with Zero One. Um, so, you know, I know we're on the Sentai show, but I, I think we could possibly be in for some really 
at least some consistently interesting stuff. Yes. Which, hey. Anyway, but let's uh, let's get back to Sentai. Otherwise, I'm going to start theory crafting on Ryder, and we don't need that in the Sentai show. Heck, we barely That's need the next Ryder week. show. We're going to get it, but mm, we don't need it. You know, we should we should at least keep it to the show where it's relevant. Exactly. Uh, so, good stuff. Uh, episode 5. Why don't you start us off, Sono? Uh, it's super cute that, as we assumed he would, uh, now that Drew understands esports, he's incredibly hyped about it and just super supportive of how cool Tametomo is within his own circle. Yeah, and I, I also like the implication that yeah, he must have went out to do that research about Tamatomo's particular niche of internet fame. And on top of that just being a nice thing to do for your friends, it's a good way to show that he takes his role as the leader, whatever that means, seriously. Even as I do have mild beef with the Red so frequently having that role. Which is, that's no shade on Juru himself, it's just... And it's not even really a complaint, I just... They got past my reticence on that level, and, and good on him. Yeah, I, I do kind of wish they would change it up more often. Um, maybe that's just why I like the kind of mid the like early to mid two thousand Sentai so much, because that seems like the place that it was done the most. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, yes and no, because Bon wasn't technically the leader of the Deca Rangers. They didn't really have a leader. Like, they didn't have, like, a squad captain, but everyone kind of just deferred to Jasmine and Hoji as the oldest people in the room. And Maji Ranger didn't really have a leader, and if they did, it sure wasn't Kai. Nope. It was it was definitely not him. His, like, the team consisted of his older siblings. Yep. And his older and his older sister's boyfriend. No one was taking orders from him. Like, sure, Bokenger, but also Sakura's there. And she's Akashi is the one that tells them to go, but she's the one that knows where they're going. Yeah. And you know, like I said, Geki Ranger explicitly had the the female yellow as their leader. I guess technically Sosuke was the leader of the Goangers, but no one respected him. Like, it's it's really not until Shinkenger that you hit kind of a hard red leader again. Mm. And even then, once you hit Gosager, they're like, they have an entire episode dedicated to figuring out which one of them is the leader and never consider Alata. Which I very much appreciate. So, I don't know. That's just, that's my favorite era of Sentai. Um, and I mean, even in Ranger, the Black was mostly the leader, because he was the only one that knew what was going on. <laughs> that, mm, that'll do it. So, I don't know. I just felt like talking about my favorite era of Sentai there for a hot second. Hey, no shame, no shame to it. It's a good thing to do. But, you know, it's just, it's very cool that they're kind of taking the red is the leader trope that has been deeply prevalent since Gokaiger, um, and are playing with it. Not that it was necessarily bad in all of those, in everything between Gokaiger and now, like, Marvelous is great. Of course he's the leader, he's the captain of the boat. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are plenty of others where I'm fine with it, um, and there are plenty of them where I'm not. But 
here they're kind of very deliberately calling him out as the leader and then playing with what that idea means. Yes. Which is cool. And I think it's actually pretty in character for Tametomo, whose entire career revolves around his leadership ability, to be kind of put off by Juru coming into his house and being like, oh my god, what a what a cool, cool dude, you're such a good leader, when he's being forced to accept this kid's authority for, like, something as life or death as saving the world from giant monsters. I feel like that's a little bit of salt in the wound, and of course he's gonna be like, this is really frustrating that you're, t- you're standing here telling me what a good leader I am, and not letting me be the leader when it comes to saving the world. Yeah, and who can blame him for being a little annoyed at that? Especially after we see him giving out all that presumably good tactical advice to his team, and everyone's listening to him, and he's he's got his stuff going. On the other hand, though, for all it's gotta be as frustrating as anything, it also shows that we're all down for the idea that we ha- all have different strengths in different situations, which is a good thing for everyone to keep in mind. And I, I'm also really big on, even if you think you should be the leader... If someone else is doing the leading for something important, sometimes you you do got to set your ego aside. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what this episode is about, is him kind of learning that as good as he is at being a leader and coming up with the plans, he's not really good at knowing his team yet and knowing what is best for them outside of a fight. And Jiru is, and he kind of learns and accepts that, and it's a lot of him accepting that, and also getting Chavello to accept that. So, yeah, he's a good guy. I also just really like his plan of jamming the joystick, because that was a really cute idea, and it did. they did a really good job of using this kind of out-of-the-box plan to show how capable he is thinking on his feet while directing a team. Yeah, which... It, it, at least you understand where Chavello is coming from. <laughs> yeah, like, he is a good leader. Just, you know, not maybe of this team. But I have to say, just that plan of jamming up the joystick, that was really sick. And also highlighted his knowledge of the tools of his craft. Like, I like to think that while he's running around, he's checking out how the mechanism works so he could figure out the right plan to use. Because what came to mind for me is, hey... It could have just as easily been like a D-pad or an old Atari controller that has the uh, this big old sleeve over the whole joystick mechanism. So you know that he'd need a different way to jam it up then. And I don't know. It just I just appreciate them showing off that he knows the tools of his trade. I feel like this is a thing that I should not feel good about, but actually Senna cheering for Tametomo and being like, oh my god, throw a kiss, throw a kiss, was really cute. Like, I actually thought it was really funny and cute. Um, especially with him getting kind of, like, frustrated that she's making so much noise. Like, I'm not sure what, if any, dynamics the show is trying to intentionally build between, like... Tametomo and Senna and Shiguru and Sayo, because it does seem like they have kind of split them off very cleanly, but I kind of like the idea of Senna just very easily getting caught up in competition. Like, she didn't come here with the light sticks and the the cheering sign, 
but she sure got them while she was here, and I like to think that just the competition was so good that as a fellow athlete, like, she took this combination of being an athlete and being his friend and got really swept up in the spirit of the competition. I, I think there's a lot to that idea. And, like, I don't know how the idol merch side of things works, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if some folks on Etsy or the equivalent were selling stuff out front. I don't know. I just, I wish there would have been a scene of her just like, oh, hey, I need to cheer my friend on. What do you guys got for merch? I just, I want to see her hitting yeah, up the Yeah, here's like 40 booth. bucks. Here's 40 bucks. Give me two light sticks and a sign. Yep, let's go. I just, I want to see her. Honestly, I, I want to see eventually a shot of the whole team just like wearing the yellow, like a yellow t-shirt with the bullet logo on it. And just like waving flags, doing a cheer for his team or something. Yeah, that would be so cute. Because I feel like now, like, everyone's going to go to his and Senna's, like, competitions. They're going to... They're gonna go to, like, where Shiguru is filming. I don't know what they would do for Sayo. I mean, she's a doctor. Uh, probably just, like, on the way in. Like, the family is all like, Oh no, my 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 baby is going in for surgery. They're just like, hey, don't worry. Here's the list of all of the impossible surgeries she did this week. And just, like, helping the families feel calmer about stuff. Because, look, they're gonna be anxious, no matter what. But oh yeah, they're just there to be like, hey, we're going to help you out. Here's some tea. Here's some coffee. You want some food? We know you're gonna. Okay, it's this operation should take about this long. You know, just that sort of thing. I just really like the dynamics between all of these kids and how supportive they are of each other. Even when they're kind of willing to tease each other, it's a good... It feels very real and kind and good. Yeah, look, look, when you, as long as everyone knows that we've got each other's backs, yeah, you can, you can razz each other till the end of time. Because equal to or, or greater than the amount of razzing is the amount of support. And that's just, that's the way to do it. Yes, and speaking of just good, kind relationship dynamics... Um, I'm putting this under good stuff because on the whole this is good, even if I do have a little bit of a complaint at the end. I I thought the story of Tametomo and his grandfather was very, very sweet in and of itself. I love that he had this close family and this ultra-supportive grandfather that were really into his hobby of gaming. And I, I love that, you know, not only did his grandfather like, get him video games, he would play them with him and seem to be engaged and taking it seriously. Like, Tametomo even says that he kind of got his spirit of competition from playing with his grandfather. Which, that's really beautiful, man. Yeah. And it, it reminded me a little of a drama called Dad of Light, which is about a guy who bonded with his dad over Final Fantasy as a kid and reconnects with him as an adult through Final Fantasy fourteen. Um, it's got a handful of familiar toku actors, some of which I really like. Um, it's easily accessible on Netflix. It's very, very sweet. It's not very long. I think it's only like eight episodes. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's a very, very cute show. But it, it made me think of that. But, you know, kind of back to the point, I felt like this story added a lot to Tomitomo as a character. It 
kind of, it showed kind of this softer side where he's able to connect to people. It gave a lot of weight to his career in esports and what it means to him. And I, I really like this story for what it adds to his dynamic with Chavello, where, you know, having, where I brought up kind of the change in Chavello's personality before of him now, like, being hyper-supportive, that kind of reflects upon his relationship with his grandfather. And he even comments on that, where he's like, I can't get too mad at him. It's it's kind of nice having a supportive grandpa again. Yeah. While I'm still kind of dealing with this trauma. And, like, it does make Chevello a little more endearing, even as, yeah, he's he's being kind of destructive and, and unhelpful at the moment. And it just, it makes Tomotomo's patience and understanding even more understandable than it would have been generally. Like, it could be, in another world, like, it would just be this thing of, hey, it's a kindly old mentor and the hot-headed youngin, but making it into well-meaning grandfather and impetuous but kind grandson just nails things to a specific dynamic in a way that I really approve of. But like I said, I do have one little complaint about this, and that's having him get mad at his grandfather over something petty, and then his grandfather immediately dying of a heart attack, like six hours later, with his last words to him having been that he hated him. That was a little too much melodrama. Like, it's not bad, but it just laid it on a little too thick. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see that. I will say, though... As a youngin who had some very intense and collecty interests that were very mystifying to my own grandparents, I will say there's at least value in in that whole bit because it it shows like, look, yeah, Grandpa got the wrong thing, but he was trying to get the right thing, and he made an innocent mistake. So you know, be cool. Yeah, I mean, I I can that I can I'm gonna show my age a tiny bit. I was super into collecting Beanie Babies when I was young. My grandfather, specifically my grandfather, was very, very into it with me. Aww. And he was he uh, delivered milk to supermarkets. Um, so he was usually out very early and he would, you know, be going to all these places and he'd pick, pick them up for me. Um, so I can get that. I'm, I'm very... I connect very much with his relationship with his grandfather. Yeah, it's just, I, I, that said, I do agree that the whole, and then he immediately died thinking I hated him. Like, that was, to say that's a little much is to make a colossal understatement, but, but the bit with just the, hey, kid, if your grandparents don't get you the thing you want, please understand that it's not malicious. That honestly, that would have been enough. Like, hey, I once exploded at my grandpa and I felt really bad about it. He's gone now, but I still remember hurting him like that, and that sucked. Yeah, see, it's it's the then he immediately died part that really kind of threw me off. Yeah. Like, even if his grandfather, like, still had the heart attack and was just in the hospital for a while, but the experience really shook Tame Tomo because he thought that he was going to lose his grandfather while they still had that tension. Like, I'd have accepted that a, kind of a lot better 
more than I like I wrote down a little better but I'd have accepted that a lot better honestly that's kind of what I was hoping it would be because I'm like oh my god is his grandfather gonna like die immediately thinking that and he like while he said he hated him and then it happened and I'm like really you couldn't come up with anything better than that yeah like I do think it would have worked better on a lot of levels if they just if they just would have done okay and then I thought I lost him but I didn't and we talked about it and we're cool later but I I still feel bad about that on some level it just just you know talk about the thoughtfulness and and the fear factor and just less is more is the thing sometimes less is more yeah like even if his grandfather had like been in the hospital and then passed away like a couple weeks later from whatever. Yeah, well, or he had a heart his... attack, and that, yeah. like, and that he, does some damage. He was fairly elderly, but, you know, like, he, he talked to his grandpa and, like, apologized and, you know, got that closure with him. Or even if, you know, his grandfather recovered and they, they played games again... And he was like, hey, don't worry about the getting me the right game. I'm just glad you're okay. And then Grandpa, you know, yeah, they could have just, they could have, it's not that I think they even really would have made up. Just like, honestly, I would have liked to see, hey, Grandpa, I'm sorry about yelling at you. That was really bad. I know you were trying to do a nice thing for me. And then Grandpa just like, look, I knew you weren't really mad. I, You were just, you wanted this thing. And, and are we cool? Of course we're cool, Grandpa, and then they can hug. And, and, like, again, like you said, even if Grandpa dies soon after, at least they got that. Because, like, even, even if they don't have that conversation, honestly, I don't even think they need to have that conversation. Even if it all just kind of blew over, regardless of whether his grandfather recovered immediately, like, recovered or passed away later. Like, even if he just says, like, it really shook me that I thought he was, I was going to lose him, and those were my last words to him. Yeah, that's true. That, yeah. Like, that, that's really the impact of it, and just having him immediately die, like, that same day before they talk again... It was just this weird, tropey bit of melodrama that was such a weird snag in the emotions of that story. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure if, if it's being watched by someone who hasn't seen that a thousand times, but still, like, come on, guys. Don't, don't, don't make the kids that kind of anxious. Uh, just, hey, man, don't blow up at Grandpa. He's trying. Like, that's all you need to say. I blew up at Grandpa, I felt real bad. I, honestly, they didn't even have to bring in the heart attack, just, I blew up at Grandpa, then I realized that he was trying to do a nice thing for me, and I got mad at him, because, you know, he made a he made an easy-to-make mistake. That wasn't cool of me, I apologized, we're cool now. I don't know, just... Anyway, let's move off this subject, because we're just It's just a weird it. little bit of a snag. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do really think it's cute that the new machines are presented as very young, uh, since they, they say, like, oh, they're only kind of 10% as formed as the rest of you. Like, I've been reading Helico as kind of in the 15 to 18 range, like, and be, like, kind of the high schooler range, 
and that she's the youngest of the five of them. That makes sense, yeah. But these these seem like they're in the like eight to ten elementary school range, which I think is really cute, especially when you factor in that Chevella wants to form a team with them, which is a cute reflection of Tomitomo's relationship with his grandfather. Yeah, which I mean, like you said, that's cute as hell. Also, I just like the attacks they bring out. Mo- mostly, it's the roller. Just like, you know, hey, we slap the rolling thing on you and then we just roll on you. Like it's a lint brush. Yeah! How you like that? Like <laughs> The best part is that, like, it keeps working. Yeah! <laughs> really well. It keeps actually doing things when they do that. I mean, like, look, I understand it's probably about the imitatability of, you know... Because I thought it was going to be a hammer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh... I mean, they do they do a little bit of hammer stuff with it, but it's mostly the roller stuff. Yeah, so I don't know. Are they trying to reduce the odds of kids hitting each other with these things, or do they just think the rolling is as funny as I do? I don't know. Just something about roll, roll, roll. That's, that's the attack. Just rolling the thing on your face, and there's sparks everywhere. Sure, man. <laughs> go Go wild. I love the dumb claw machine monster. Yes. It's so dumb and weird and goofy, and I absolutely adore the way they have it move and the kind of pacing that brings to the fight. Because you've got this really slow, uncomfortable movement. Because seeing it just slide is so unsettling. And it's really slow and then it drops the claw really slow, but then immediately after you have this really fast, intense throwing one thing after another until the until we can, you know, get a punch in. And that really... And then it goes slow again to move around, and that quick, slow, quick, slow of the, the pacing of the fight is really cool. It's a really interesting fight. Yeah, it really is. And honestly... For all I'm I'm not in love with all the monster designs, the way they have like the the giant monster interact with the robot during these big fights has been really fun like it, it, at least in the episodes so far. Yeah. Also, I've noticed that they only have two giant monster designs. They have the squid one and the dinosaur one, and they just keep sticking different heads on them. And a friend pointed out to me that they might be doing that to save some budget, um, perhaps to keep Sky Mage actively present, since Sky Mage is made of the arm robots, which we can now swap out with the new kids. Mm. Yeah, good call that. Not to mention, hey, like, I kind of dig on just having two bodies and then just making new heads, because it, it does add some personality to it. And also highlight how the red general guy with, like, you know, the the red painted bottom of his face might not be as creative he, as he thinks, which, I mean, that ties back to Juru's whole superpower of imagination thing and the fact that the bad guys, they don't want there to be the that shine of imagination in the world. They want to make everything just boring and ugly, and that's, that's pretty good. So, rolling into episode six, as much as we're kind of iffy on this being our first Sayo episode. I do love that it hinges on her just for her entire life, 
not wanting anyone to suffer unnecessarily, and how she refuses to give up on someone she can help. Sayo's great. Yes, she is. She's just, she's great, and she's what the world needs right now, and I'm glad that in this time of really scary global medical crisis, kids have a strong, devoted doctor character as a role model. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and look, I don't know if Mio Kudo did one of those in-character hang-in-there tweets that I saw a lot of veteran Sentai and writer actors doing not too long ago, but like she would be a great person to do one. She did do one as canon um, that was in response to one done by Makoto's actor. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, she didn't do one as Sayo, but when... Komi Aria was discharged and was ready to go out and, you know, no longer hospitalized for this virus. She did respond to him um, with a really cute tweet of, like, oh, leader, welcome back, we're all gonna shine together again. Um, so she did do that, which is, like, half in character. That's pretty cute, um, Which though. was very cute. But uh, she didn't do one of the the in-character, like, I'm gonna go fight the virus for you kids as Sayo. She did it as canon. That's that's fair, because I, I feel like maybe it was, hey, don't worry, all us old ones, all us other Sentais are gonna, gonna keep working too, just like the new guys are. I don't know, but it just, it makes me, seeing that makes me smile, because it's, it is such a relatively small thing, but... It has it has some weight for reasons that are probably very silly, but like sure, I know that these characters aren't real, but the the act of reaching out and just pretending to be that character for another, you know, hundred you know, two hundred some odd characters, that's that's pretty nice. That's sweet. It is. Also I mean, it's you know, imagine I don't, God, I don't know anyone who, like, imagine, like, Robert Downey Jr. posting on Twitter to all the kids, like, hey kids, don't worry, Iron Man is here and is gonna go protect you from this. Yeah, just remember And posting a picture in the Iron Man suit. Yeah. That's essentially what it is. Yeah, which, that's really good. And honestly, uh, I believe it a lot more from, from, like, a Sentai actor than I would from Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. But you know that's that's a that's for a whole different thing. Anyway, I just I rather doubt that the show itself is going to directly address the whole global pandemic thing. But just just having a doctor being cool and together like that is going to be a balm in uncertain times. And I I do hope at least at some point they get to just have yeah she's wearing a mask. Why is she wearing a mask? Hey guys, at the moment. That's just a a responsible thing to do. Yeah, I mean, honestly, with how long this is probably going to go on, Uh, I kind of hope that they do at least do one episode kind of in the near future to touch on it a little bit. It would make a really good focus episode for her. Actually, yeah. Or honestly, maybe they can just do like some PSAs. I bet they're doing some PSAs. We just don't get to see them. I, you know what? I really hope so. Because, like, if nothing else, like, just in between commercial breaks, just, hey, kids, we're having a lot of fun here, but please remember, I know you want to go out and hang with your friends, 
but it's very important that don't. And if you do have to go outside, wear a mask, gloves, keep some social distance, you know, look out for each other, because it's not just about you. It's about all the people around you, because that's been a big thing that a lot of people have been missing. <laughs> Sorry, not going to go there. Let's not get dark, Aleph. Woo! <laughs> so, no, get to the next thing before I start talking again. Okay, so the bit of Shiguru going to, like, spill the story about Sayo's childhood and her just, like, running in and doing a wrestling throw, like, hey, maybe don't. That was a go really goofy, fun bit. Yeah, and hey, don't tell other people stories, yo. Like, it's rude, and if you do it, getting wrestling thrown is the least of what you deserve. Because, like, you can tell a story involving someone else if you were both there and it happened to you, but don't tell other people stories. It's not, it's not your place. I know I tend to get my back up a little at friends and teammates getting physical. I know my whole Luca thing. Trust me, I know my whole Luca thing, and if you've been around long enough, so do you. I know I brought it up early on in Lupod and Ryu Soldier as a potential worry. I think it was Toma who... Was it Toma who threatened to punch yes. uh, Umika, or was it Umika who threatened to punch Toma? No, it I know was, it was Toma. the two of them. He was okay, and, yeah. and it was like, "Hey, man, you are a lot bigger than her." Yeah, and you know, I was a little worried with Asuna that giving her the the pink strong was going to make her kind of uncomfortably violent. Thankfully, those two latter cases, it was not an issue. But my Luca issue stands as it does. But the connecting there thread in those is it's always shoving and punching and hitting things that kids actually do to bully one another. But Sayo flipping Shiguru is super goofy and over the top. Like, it's not imitatable. It's not reinforcing a bad behavior that potentially already exists. It's so wild and fast that you can't even really see what she does. Like, I'm pretty sure there was some wire work done in there to get him to move the way he did. Because she really just grabs his arm. Like, Shiguru on the ground being like, yeah, I brought this upon myself, I'm just gonna stay here. <laughs> Along with the implication that the two of them are close enough at some point that she has told him this story and not anyone else. Because I do not know where else he could have heard it from, except directly from her. Because clearly she doesn't want people knowing about it. Like, we've seen a lot of the two of them just hanging out together between missions. When, um, like in the last episode, when Chavello called Juru, the two of them are just also hanging out in there talking. And I like the dynamic and chemistry they have, that they're kind of willing to approach each other as the adults in the room. And that, you know, they've probably talked a lot about how they ended up where they have and why they're the way they are, especially after Shigeru's episode. Yeah, otherwise, how does he know the story to begin with? They didn't know each other beforehand. Yeah, so she has told him this within the past month, and he, I guess he just didn't realize this isn't a thing she doesn't tell other people, generally. Mm. And doesn't want the kids you know, teasing her about it, because it's a big deal to her. But I, I kind of like the implication that the two of them have kind of built this bond. Yeah, same. But, you know, again, the, the, thing, the thing is her throwing him on the ground is such a goofy, over-the-top thing 
that it feels like they're kind of playing off the way that she fights the monsters and not her trying to, like, force dominance. Also, like, I think it's not part of a pattern is another part of it. Because, yeah. like, a big part that, that you've brought up is that Luca is always punching her friends. Like, this is this is in response to a specific kind of trust-breaking. And look, maybe it's a bit much to expect the kids to make that distinction, which makes the fact that it's hard to imitate that a little more valuable. But still, like, hey man, as he observed himself, he brought this upon himself. And, uh, talk crap gets smacked, y'all. That's just what happens. Yeah, because, I mean, again, the... The reason I could let it go in Lupod and Reed Soldiers because it wasn't a pattern. It was kind of an early thing to establish dynamics, where in Lupot, Toma and Umiko weren't close early on. They didn't trust each other. The team was barely a team. They were just people that had a similar goal. And as they learned to care about each other, he never did that again. And in Ryu Soldier, Asuna seemed to be fairly aware of her strength, where if she wasn't in kind of a hyper-emotional state, she didn't hurt anyone with it. But, you know, Luca, every other episode, is punching one of her friends to establish that she is the dominant one in the room. Got a lot of feelings about Luca. And, you know, look, that's okay. That's what we're here for. I want to like Luca. I do. But she won't let me. No, I I get it. Sometimes there's just characters that on paper would be your favorite thing and just something gets you. And that something being keeps punching her friends in the shoulder or whatever. Like, I get it. I did think it was really funny when the marksman takes a photo of Shiguru and Senna and is like, oh, you know, smile for the camera. And Senna actually does pose. And then as he's taking the photo, Shiguru gets halfway through commenting that they need the approval of his acting agency in order to, like, take a photo of him. So good. Which, like, on its own, those are just two really funny things. But I feel like it also might be a little bit of a dig at the celebrity culture in Japan and how regulated young celebrities can tend to be by their agency. Oh, yeah, 100%. On both counts, really, the, the funny and the and it being about the regulation. Also, I do appreciate just the little character thing where Senna, yeah, you say, hey, pose for the camera, she's into it. Like, that that seems like a character thing we can follow up on later. Maybe it's not, yeah. but I don't know. Seems like. I mean, even even just on its own, it says a lot about her. Like, she's just very casual. She's probably used to people taking her pictures at track meets. Like, she's just, she's very outgoing and better with people than most of the rest of the team. I think that, yeah, I can see that. I also like for how cool and collected we generally see Sayo. She does crack when faced with Garza. Like, when he hits her with the train and she's knocked out of suit, she, like, starts climbing up him and is screaming and crying to give Senna and Shiguru back. Like, I love Sayo as this hyper-competent, untouchable, awesome figure, but I also really like that she has these little moments that make her human. Because we've seen that these are the first people that seem to treat her as a person and not some unflawed miracle idol doctor. 
and having her veneer of perfection crack a little in fear for their safety is just a really nice way to show how attached to them she's become. It really is. And also, by implication, it, it shows stuff that may or may not drive the perfectionism that defines her as a doctor. Because, I mean, look, yeah, she's a doctor. Miracle genius, top surgeon, prodigy or not, at some point she has lost or will lose a patient. Just statistically. No one can be that good. No one is, you know, if you're going in and operating on people in in need of that kind of surgery, you know, I hate to be a downer, but uh, there it is. And on some level, there's an implication that part of the reason she can be so good is because she cares that much about protecting people. And it just, like you say, it's very humanizing. And it, it also makes her relatable even as her, her, like, the tippy-top of this ability thing that she's got going makes her a little alienated. So, yeah, good call there. Way to go, guys. You know what I really appreciate? This bit where, like, Juru and Tametoma are like, oh man, how do we, how do we do this? Senna's usually the most mature member of the team. Or Sayo. And Sayo just responding to that, like, I'm not mature, I'm a five-year-old! And, like, I know that in this specific instance, they weren't trying to make a five-year-old be some mature member of the group. They were just commenting on how different she acts as a child from how they know her as an adult. But it was nice to hear someone who is, in the moment, essentially a child assert their childhood in a world that is very frequently pushing kids to act older than they are for the convenience of adults. Oh, yeah. Like, honestly, I hope there were some parents watching it on a lot of, for a lot of reasons, honestly, like, hey, it's cool to watch cartoons or, or, you know, kids shows with your kids, just, you know, see what they're into. It's, it's a neat thing. But I hope there were some who watched it, who were watching it and had a kind of epiphany from that moment, because, yeah, man, like, a five-year-old can't be mature. That's, it's just not a thing a five-year-old human can do. They might act more mature, but that's probably because of some anxiety, internalized or otherwise, that has been laid on them. And, like, look, it's it's a very long issue, but let kids be kids because they aren't adults. They cannot be adults. Asking them to act like adults is, like, sure, there is asking them to act in a manner that is proper for the society in which they live, but anyway... My point is, there are a lot of adults who are barely adults, so asking a kid to be more adult than many adults are is, um, it's not healthy. It's not fun. It's, it's just, like, I'm probably reading way too much into this scene, but, uh, hey, welcome to Laser Knees. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you could join us. I also appreciate that Drew is just willing to let her be five and figure it out from there. He's just like, okay, well, we just have to figure out what a five-year-old can bring to the team. Yeah, which, honestly, I like that on top of imagination, Juru's real superpower and the reason he can be a leader is that he meets people where they are instead of where he'd like them to be. And, yeah, that's just a really good superpower to have. Yeah, that is... A lesson we can all learn from. Yeah, no lie. 
And I understand why Tametomo gets frustrated and kind of separates himself from the situation, because two of their team are missing and are seriously in danger. And I appreciate that his problem isn't, no, she needs to act like an adult so we can solve this. His problem is, she's five, and we can't change that, so let's- I want to handle the problem that I can actually potentially solve. And I guess it's good that these two are the ones left, since they can then work both sides of the current problem. It's just, you know, I want to praise Juru for meeting Sayo where she's at, but I don't want to, like, knock Tometomo down. Oh, yeah. Because he is dealing with a lot. Yeah, no, there's a lot. And he's like, okay, you handle the five-year-old situation. I'm going to figure out how to get the other two back. Yeah, which, honestly, on top of everything else, I appreciate that... We are spending this first round of focus episodes explaining why Juru is actually a good choice to be the leader in spite of whatever misgivings people might have. Because it is, hey, he can focus on this, and that means you are free to go and focus on the other thing. Like, it's, it's, like, delegating responsibility is part of good leadership. Saving the puppy and learning from it that she wanted to help people is a really sweet backstory for Sayo. Um, especially because, as we talked about, she does kind of seem a little emotionally alienated from the world at large because of kind of the pedestal that she's put on. She, It seems like she kind of sometimes has trouble connecting with people that know who she is. So having her want to pursue something greater than herself based on realizing how much she cares about people in the world is really nice. Agreed. Like, she's got a big heart, and it gives her power, and dang it, I like when the ability to care for others gets treated like a power on its own, because it is, and it is incredibly valuable. We we don't op- Just sometimes you, you see people talking about, yeah, you have to be harder, and the world would be better if everyone was grr, arg, and no. We've got enough of that, thanks. Be good to each other. I also like that we are kind of building on the past couple of episodes in our B-plot? Of Tomitomo trying to save the others? I don't know if I want to call that a B-plot. It's, um, it's a recurring element. The other part of the plot. But, you know, he we have him coming up with these borderline reckless plans, but because he's so good at strategy and tactics, he can think on his feet enough to make these crazy plans work. So having him be like, let me take the MacGuffin from a few episodes ago and hurl myself face first into the monster with it so you can track me... That's an awful plan on the surface. That's a terrible idea. You don't know where you're going. But I never really doubted for a second that Tametomo could make it work, because he is so good at thinking on his feet that he always makes the plan work. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also, okay, I know that this is this is actually sort of a, a side thing to the point you're making, but... I am so looking forward to that MacGuffin coming back in a big way, like a third time now. Because this is twice they've called attention to it in like a major way, talking about the kinds of effects it has. Just Something's going to happen with that freaking rock, and I'm looking forward to seeing what it is. Yeah, I mean, again, Arakawa doesn't put a gun on the table and not shoot it. But yeah, to the point of things that you were actually trying to make... Yeah, it's just a terrible plan. But there is just enough nuance throughout that you can see how it's meant to work, 
And with Tomotomo, it's it's just, yeah, he's good. Also, we kind of build upon the fact that he's accepted Juru now by having them do that little fist bump. Once, you know, they he describes the plan as like, hey, you're the leader, I'm trusting you to make the ground team part of this work. And it's it's not quite Bamba's reluctant fist bump of, of being part of the team, but it does still carry some of that weight, and I appreciate it. Yeah, same. Also, I do want to throw out that having the cloud monster be floating just way up in the sky, and thus be a lot harder to reach, that's that's a pretty clever plan. And I gotta hand it to the camera marksman, or or the red guy, or Garza, or whoever we're attributing the plan to in-universe, because that's a pretty good plan. Yeah, honestly, on on a surface level, it is a pretty good plan. Like, they totally didn't factor in that two members of the team can fly, but I don't know, maybe camera marksman did, because he got one of them out of the way, like, immediately. And they didn't plan on Sayo getting amnesia and not being able to work, but maybe he was like, I'll just go out and take a picture of that one too, and then they can't get up to it. Yeah. That's a, that'd be a good way to fix it, because his plan is, his power is literally removing people from the equation. Speaking of him, I love that him getting beaten is that he just gets crushed by the big monster falling out of the sky. Like, that was a really funny and clever way to just move things along without having to come back down and fight him and then go back up to fight the big monster. Like, it, it was just a very nice way of moving things along that was also very funny. It was. And honestly, the more times we can just skip over some of the, the mechanical steps to just get to the fun or funny wrap-ups, the better. Because less time dealing with the minutiae of monsters who are basically there to... I mean, look, their job is to get got every week. So the less time we have to deal with all the steps of them getting got, the more time we have to build the story and characters, and I'm, I'm here for it. It's also just super cute that, again, building on previous episodes, we play up how hard getting head-butted by Mabushina is. Because, you know, we bring it up in episode one, but it's kind of funny having it come up again as a hard enough impact equivalent to Sayo hitting her head on the sidewalk that it's enough to reverse the amnesia. And it also was like, did she hold back when she headbutted the the team leader dude? Oh, I'm pretty sure. Because she must have with how hard she hit Sayo. Yeah. Honestly, I think she holds back a lot because this is not, not to get all, like, Justice League Superman, but... She she is literally made of stone in a world made of cardboard. She could just juggernaut walk through any wall. You know she could. I would love to see her do that. Me too, honestly. It's just, you know, she doesn't want to break things because she's cool, but she could. Honestly, like, I think the only way I would have enjoyed the, the whole, like, headbutting so hard it reverses the amnesia thing would have been just... In defiance of adventure or drama, soap opera, whatever convention, Sayo, you know, the actual medical doctor, could drop in and just be like, hey, you know, this is really unlikely. This doesn't actually make sense. Like, a strong blow to the head immediately clearing up the horrific amnesia I got. Two rounds of traumatic brain injury do not make a right, okay? Why did that work? And just like the rest of the crew is like, 
you're the doctor. I would love that, especially since the other doctor was like, yeah, you're. it's very possible this will never be fixed. And she's like, yeah, how did you fix this? Honestly, if, if the next episode opens with her just, like, writing out a medical, like, experience report, going and talking to that other doctor, I think that'd be great. Just like, hey, this is a one in a bajillion chance, so, I mean... I'm not. I don't have time to really go in for a full brain scan. But if you, to, I'm just gonna send my double out to go do some fighting. You have a double. Don't worry about it. And I'm just gonna let you do it. Just get. She should get a cat scan. I'm just saying. Like, look. I know that this is a long way to go for the just a haha trope, but still, I just I think that'd be a fun thing to do. Um. And speaking of, okay, I'm gonna spin out from tropes to go to things that recur. And that's going to take us to our references, because look, Kira Major is an anniversary series, and throughout they've been doing some callbacks to previous Sentai by having evidence of them scattered throughout the show. So we're going to make note of the references we pick up. Um, Like, I didn't catch so many this time, but Sono, I see that you got at least one. Yeah, I couldn't really find any in episode five. I'm not sure if maybe, um, let me just check Joystick Jamin's voice actor for a second. Nope. Uh, nope, no previous big credits. Um, the only thing that stuck out to me is not necessarily a callback to another Sentai, but I'm wondering if the team that Tametoma was playing against in Episode 5 is a small nod to Kamen Rider Zero One as the team's name is Shoot 'em Up Wolfpack, and their logo is a blue wolf on a badge, which is gun-themed and has a red bullet hole design that is very reminiscent of a salt wolf. Um, it wouldn't be the first time Sentai made a small nod to their sister show. Uh, the, the big one is Geki Ranger, where the entire team matched their suit colors to the Imogen, but it, it seemed... A little too convenient that there were so many things that kind of lined up as the secondary rider to the dude who is basically the Jeru's secondary rider. No, that's that's a very good point. Especially since, honestly, like, I know it was the opposing team, but Tomotomo feels like he'd absolutely be a fan of Fua. Oh, absolutely. They'd get along and gripe about the weird, goofy dudes they're forced to follow around and kind of defer to, but that they both secretly really respect. I just, I really want to see the bit where Fua is trying to hide his laughter from one of Aruto's terrible jokes, because you just, you do know that Tomotomo would be like, that's not funny. That's that's really weak sauce, dude. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Although, then again, if if Izu did her, did the punchline delivery, it'd be gold. Oh, yeah. He, he would absolutely find Izu hilarious. I wonder if Fuwa thinks it's still funny when Izu does it. We've never really had that moment. I feel like we kind of have, and he didn't. But I can't remember if that was in the if that was in an episode or was in the um, Gutbuster Taro special. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay, gotta gotta go looking for that. Genom Corp has it. It's very very funny. Good, right on. Uh, but back to this. I also see you have one for episode six. 
yes, uh, circling back. Sayo's Aikido teacher is played by Seiju Umon, who played Zoshi, which was Zoo Ranger's ma- uh, Mammoth Ranger. Yeah, I thought so. So, you know, uh, I know that Naruhisa Arakawa didn't write that episode, but it is coming a little full circle. Yeah, and look, like, the only thing I really know him from is from uh, when he was in Gokaiger. So, like, I just felt very proud of myself for recognizing him at all. It's very like, hey, hey, that's 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 a dude. I thought he was the red, but again, I only know him from Gokaiger. So, not Arakawa. What did I say, Arakawa? What I'm thinking of the director for these episodes who started on Zoo Ranger. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's a that's a nice little circle to close. That's where my brain was going. That's mm, uh, that would have been a, yeah. This is what happens when I say things without notes. Sometimes I make happens. mistakes. But surprisingly, for all the other, like, doctors and other people at the dojo in this episode, he's the only cameo? Like, the the doctor that they went to see about the amnesia wasn't, as far as I could tell, the other doctor that was in surgery with her wasn't, neither of the other two people at the dojo were cameos, it was just him. Yeah. All I could think was, if it was the 90s when this happened, there probably would have been like Kenji Oba, to play someone, but alas. Oh, there you are. Sorry, I, I thought we got uh, cut off. Oh, no, we're good. Uh, so do we have any final thoughts there? Uh, real good show. Can't wait for more real good show. Yeah, same, same. So on that note, uh, from all of us here at Laser Knees and the rest of the TOOL Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And shine on, you crazy diamonds. <laughs> <laughs>